Welcome to episode 128 of Tech Sales Insights. Really excited to have Steve Lane from uh, Red Vector today. Uh, Steve, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Randy. Excellent. Pleasure to be here. All right. Awesome to have you. And uh, Glenn must be uh, what, hanging out on the beach. Uh, no, Glenn doesn't get to go to the beach. Glenn is out trying to uh, make some numbers for us. Glenn, uh, he is uh, hard at work in Manhattan carrying a bag around today. All right. Great job, Glenn. Sounds like a, a big deal that we, we can't talk about publicly, but very exciting. Anyway, so uh, Steve is the uh, co-founder, chairman and CEO of a cool uh, earlier stage security company called Red Vector. So you'll be hearing more about that. Uh, our title topic is getting to 10 million ARR in very early markets. So uh, certainly a lot of people uh, fighting away there in uh, some of these uh, early companies. And uh, with this economy, certainly has been a, a, a much more of a dogfight. So look forward to hearing some of those insights. And uh, we're sponsored today by Fullcast.io, who is the go-to-market planning sponsor of Sales Community. Uh, they've got a cool uh, integrated uh, planning platform to help you boost sales pr productivity, help distribute quotas and targets, territory planning. So really help uh, automate some of those key uh, kind of rev ops uh, uh, fun functional areas and things that you want to do. So full cast, thank you. And uh, to those that are sales community members, thank you as well. If you're not, uh, Tucker will put a, a free link in. You can go to salescommunity.com slash spring free and you get a uh, free membership there. Uh, so uh, by way of introduction, Steve and I really don't know, know each other. Uh, full disclosure, I'm a small investor in the company and uh, very excited to hear it's uh, going well. Uh, so I won't, won't talk about the specific numbers, but that is great. Uh, Steve lives in the Philly area, more specifically Valley Forge. Uh, besides work and family, he's uh, into outdoor sports, uh, hunting and fishing. And uh, real passion is uh, just like starting companies is uh, uh, starting vegetable gardens. And uh, that sounds really exciting and uh, uh, very passionate about his kids and uh, especially Chris and Andrew that uh, had just done the uh, Tough Mudder, which uh, no way I could do it. I don't, I don't know about you, but very, very cool that they uh, that they did that. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, look, not just Chris and Andrew, I have six. So uh, a huge shout out to all of them. Interestingly enough, um, they're all in sales. Um, so they all, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess, what do they say? The nut doesn't fall far from the tree. So oh, awesome. yeah, very, very proud of them all. Excellent. Good off to uh, uh, offline. You can give me their addresses. I'll, I'll send you uh, my book that came out pretty good. Obviously I'm biased and uh, Tucker, maybe throw the uh, book link on there as well. If anybody's interested um, I've got some great content in it. Uh, 90 zero friends have some great tips and tricks as well. So uh, jumping into the questions here, maybe talk about it's always uh, cool to talk about people's uh, first job after uh, college. Well, let's talk about the job right sort of while I was in college that led to the first job out of college. Right. While I was in, I went to George Mason University outside of Washington, D.C., and I worked uh, full time and I went to school full time. And my job was I was a car salesman. I worked at a Volkswagen dealership in Arlington, Virginia. And so I sold Volkswagens, new and used Volkswagens. And really, that's where I, you know, in large measure, you know, learned how to sell. Right. And learn, you know, sort of the ways and means of uh, what it took to, uh, to to close a deal, if you will. Um, and so after college, 
um, I couldn't be a car salesman. I went to you know college. I you know, had a degree in marketing. And so I had to go get a marketing job somewhere. So I went to work for Volkswagen Porsche Audi in their mid-Atlantic region as a marketing analyst. And it was a fantastic experience because I worked with 70 dealerships in a five-state region. And I also got to work with the, their ad agency, Doyle, Dane, and Bernbach, famous New York uh, Madison Avenue ad agency, where I was very early on in my career, I was schooled in something called the psychographics of the automobile purchaser, which was has, has served me extremely well in my sales career in terms of understanding the psychology of why people buy and why they buy certain things. And so, yeah, that was that about a college. Wow. Very cool. So on, on that, any um, uh, maybe one or two uh, t- tips or insights that you uh, used with that uh, experience into uh, that correlates over to uh, tech and what you're doing now? Well, one of the things is, so if you're familiar with like, for instance, the Myers-Briggs test, right? Sort of a psychographic analysis of, you know, 16 different, you know, types of uh, styles or personas. um, I could just ask somebody what kind of car they drove. And then I'd ask them about some of the options or features on the car. And that could help me immediately form a personality profile or persona of that person. I mean, very much similar. What is the name of the company that that you're involved in and sponsor? Is it uh, get a profile on somebody from LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Humantic AI. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Great, great product, by the way. I, I, and so, you know, that's done through AI right now. I would do that by asking somebody what kind of car they drove: two door, four door, automatic transmission, manual transmission. Leather seats, pleather seats. What kind of radio did you have in the car? And uh, I pretty much could tell who I was dealing with. Wow, very cool. And then uh, maybe quickly talk about your uh, career uh, from there, including a long time at Cap Gemini. Well, so you know, I, I was on I was on a career trajectory all planned out for me, all by the Germans. On my third anniversary, the head of HR brings me in for my annual review takes out a ruler, has this little 30-year timeline, clicks off year three. And, you know, this guy, I'll never forget him, Eric Schmidt in his German accent, says, Steve, just keep your nose clean. And, you know, in two years, you'll get to be an assistant regional parts manager for West Virginia. I was like, well, hold on a second. I mean, like, no, I want to be at the corner office like in two or three years, right? I want to be the region general manager, vice president. And the guy looked at me incredulously like, no, your whole career has already been planned out. All you have to do is just show up for work. Ah, that's not for me. If I wanted to do that, I would have you know, joined the government or the military or some more structured environment. So I literally went to the library. That's what you did in those days, right? There was no internet to look for things. You went to the library and I researched you know, industries in the future. And I read a fantastic article um, about the convergence of telecommunications and computing in the early 80s. And so I went on a hunt to find a job in telecommunications and computing and wound up working for a company that was based out of New Jersey called GraphNet, graphic scanning, that was at the forefront of the deregulation of telecommunications, not telephone, not voice, telex. If you remember way yeah. back, you're, you're old enough to remember telex. Yeah, you, get, you get orders on it. Yeah, that's right. You used to get orders on telex. It preceded facsimile. It preceded the fax yeah. machine. Right. And so I went to work as a salesperson 
for this company called GraphNet selling basically alternative telex services, mainly to Fortune 1000 type companies. Um, and then, you know, just to carry on with the interesting story, one of my customers was IBM. They, they had a location in Boca Raton, Florida, and their volume went from about $1,000 a month to $30,000 a month. So I immediately flew down there to find out what they were doing so I could maybe replicate it. And a guy takes me in the back and says, well, we're making this new IBM computer. It's called the 5150. And everything at IBM in those days had a number, right? He goes, but we're not going to call it the 5150. We're going to call it the PC, the personal computer. And he showed me this computer and he said, now what's going to be so cool about this is that other people other than IBM will be able to write programs for it. And so it was like, wow, the light bulb went off in my head. And it was like, I could turn this computer into a telex machine. And in those days, telex machines sold for $20,000. So I could buy an IBM computer, put some software in it that emulated what a telex machine did and sell it for $10,000. And so my brother and I, who he, my brother was a uh, uh, programmer, he was just coming out of college with a degree in computer programming. Uh, he wrote the software. I sold it. And then very quickly, that sort of evolved into electronic mail. And we sold that first company in 1987 to a division of GTE, General Telephone and Electronics, that became part of Sprint. So, yeah. Awesome. And then uh, maybe kind of quickly go through from there. Habitual entrepreneur. I mean, I've, I've, I've been a part of seven startups. This particular journey I'm on started in 2015 at Lockheed Martin. Some friends of mine called and said, Steve, great opportunity to come in and help us run or build a startup under the umbrella of Lockheed Martin. They were uh, being called upon, as were many other defense contractors in that 2013, 14, 15 timeframe to immediately get some of their cybersecurity capabilities out into the marketplace, primarily critical infrastructure. So they started up a division that was called uh, Lockheed Martin uh, um, uh, Commercial Cyber. They acquired a company up uh, uh, near uh, Boston and Foxborough, Industrial Defender, uh, integrated that company in. And we basically built this company from zero to about $130 million in less than two years. It was just an unbelievably excellent you know, experience. Some of the best people I've ever worked for in my career. Um, but then Lockheed spun us out. We got caught up in a big uh, 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 divestiture of a much larger unit that we reported into, went to another government contractor called Lidos, based in Reston, Virginia, Lidos only kept us for two years because they are a government contractor. They didn't want to have any commercial risk exposure. So yep. they hired a banker, put us out for sale, and Cap Gemini bought us out of, uh, out of Paris. Awesome. So you go a small company to then end up big company because that acquisition had a great run at uh, Cap Gemini. And then um, kind of what was the process in terms of going through to think of uh, starting Red Vector? So we had a piece of technology that we originally developed at Lockheed Martin to do insider threat analytics, insider threat detection. This was all sort of around the Eric Snowden, post Snowden timeframe. And so it was an approach to utilize. I mean, Lockheed Martin needed this for their own internal corporate use. Right. They're building the F-35. They're building F-22s. I mean, they were a target of espionage by, you know, big time nation state actors. Right. And so they needed a way to find, you know, potentially, you know, embedded spies 
uh, uh, within, within the organization. So they developed this software platform that not just it, it didn't just look at cyber related data. It also looked at other uh, behavioral indicators of human behavior. So HR information, uh, scanning for open source public records like arrest warrants or, um, you know, uh, criminal charges. Um, it brought it all into a big data lake, ran a lot of interesting machine learning algorithms on it, and then produced risk scores so that corporate security could go and try to mitigate in advance of an event happening, right? It's like, you know, look, Steve, you know, we see these things happening. Your risk score is going on. What's happening, right? Because in many cases, there's life stressors, financial issues, family issues, you know, uh, bad work environment issues, lack of training that 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 are precursors to ultimately these, you know, in many cases, catastrophic events like sabotage, workplace violence, fraud, theft. And so this piece of technology was a fantastic piece of technology. We immediately sold it to eight major organizations. Then we got caught up in sort of a freeze by being spun out to this other company. They didn't want to invest in anything. And they were services businesses. They weren't product companies. So Capgemini, really a service-oriented company, didn't know what to do with some of these software assets. And so myself and a few others, Glenn, my co-founder, uh, he was not at Capgemini at the time, but he was my AI expert. He was at Data Robot, and he was also my risk modeling expert because he had spent 14 years at Moody's Analytics. So that convergence of analytics and, and uh, AI, he had the handle on. And so I left and we acquired the software, we acquired the customers, and off we went to the races. So that was awesome. a over a year and a half ago. Awesome. So then, you, I mean, you kind of, not that you didn't have any work left to do, but you kind of, it's a startup, but you kind of started on the 50-yard line because you already had a product, you already had product market fit, you already had customers. Correct. So it's kind of cheating, but it's great. great oh, great, come on. Great, 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 great way to do it, right? I mean, <laughs> it, makes, uh, it makes, makes so much sense for you sure. You make it sound so easy, right? Maybe I need, maybe I don't even need salespeople. We'll just put a form, an order form on the web and People can just buy it. There you go. It's yeah. not that easy. I think yeah, a little bit, a little bit more of a heavy lift. So, um, so speaking of which, then kind of what, what is your your go to market? How do you sell? So we are account specific, direct uh, uh, account targeted focused, right? So we're very, very deterministic in terms of who we sell this to and how we sell it to them. And quite honestly, in some cases, I tease you know the guys a lot in that. You know, we're not really selling. We're just helping people buy this, right? The the our 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 typical customer, our ideal customer profile, is in most cases a chief security officer, head of risk. Certainly, the chief information security officer, the CISO, has a major you know vote or say in this. The CIO has a major vote and say in this. General counsel does, but it's that corporate security function with a lot of HR assistance as well, because ideally the outcome that we produce is this mitigating uh, capability in advance. So if employee assistance, if an employee assistance program can help this employee get some help before they go forward and either intentionally or unintentionally, in many cases it's accidental, but you know, there, it can, it can lead to significant repercussions. So that's, 
that, so anyway, back to directly answer your question, we're focused right now on uh, commercial and the U.S. government. I would say it's about 50-50. You know, and, uh, you know, when you tell some people that, you know, as a startup, you're focused on the U.S. government, they look at you like you're crazy because of the long sales cycles, the bureaucracy and what it takes. But it is the one market that has a mandate to do this. In 2016, President Obama issued a presidential order that all government agencies must have what is called an insider threat hub. So defense, intelligence, civil, all of them have been doing this capability of looking for insider threats. The problem is they do it manually. It's not automated. And so what our solution does is automates this and it dramatically optimizes and increases the efficacy of their programs. So the U.S. government market A, market one. The other market is critical infrastructure as defined by the Department of Homeland Security. So DHS has defined 16 sectors as critical to our nation's sustainability, financial services, transportation, energy, utility, critical manufacturing. So the list goes on. We're focused right now on about six or seven of those agencies. And we're even then more focused on the more mature organizations that are actively out, you know, trying to, you know, protect both their employees and their critical assets.